What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer, joined on the phone by Ben Badler from Boston. How you doing, Ben? I'm doing good. Doing good. How about you, Kyle? Hanging in there. A lot warmer than you are right now, I'm betting. Uh, Probably so. <laughs> well, uh, minor league season has uh, has started. We're about 10 to 15 games in, and Ben and I both have been on the road quite a bit, seeing uh, some of the guys who are just making making waves around baseball, majors and minor league level. Uh, one of the fun things that we did at Baseball America here over uh, last week, we saw the top three prospects in the game. I was in Anaheim seeing Shohei Otani. Uh, Josh Norris and J.J. Cooper were here in Durham, North Carolina, seeing a Ronald Acuna with Gwinnett. And Ben Bowler was up in New Hampshire seeing a Vladimir Guerrero and uh, you know his sidekick, Bo Bichette, the Vlad and Bo show. So, you know, Otani, Acuna, and Guerrero were our top three prospects. We had live eyes on them uh, the first week of the season. Uh, ben, I, I do want to start with Guerrero because he was number three on that pecking order, but a lot of other years he'd be number one. Uh, you know, his first, you know, go things at the AA level. Uh, just what, what were some of the things you saw and talked to scouts about, you know, being there on the ground? Uh, well, there were no scouts <laughs> at, the, uh, at the games I was at, which is because uh, scouts are probably smart enough to not want to go uh, up to New Hampshire and sit and watch games in uh, game, in weather that's just above 30 degrees. <laughs> so, How many uh, layers were you wearing? That's the real question. Yeah, it was. Uh, I was posting some photos on my uh, my Instagram story <laughs> on that one of the games where it was uh, definitely layered up, trying to take some video. <laughs> Uh, out there in the cold was uh, uh, challenging, but definitely worth it to see to see Vlad Jr. and uh, Boba Shed and, and Lourdes Correale on that team. I mean, Vlad Vlad Jr. is just he's just incredible. <laughs> he's he is just such a good hitter, and it it starts just watching them all take BP, and it's just it's just so much louder when it comes off Vlad's bat than anybody else, whether it's Bichette or Guriel or 
like the older guys who are on either club who are 23, 24. Here's, here's Vladdy Jr. who's, I mean, he just turned 19 years old, and he's hitting balls out of the park to, his, to the pole side, like not over the fence, like over the Sam Adams, like, brew house that they have in left field. You can see the video we posted um, online of a few of the shots he hit, but it's not just huge, huge power um, to the pole side. It's, you know, he's, he's hitting, like, these line drives that just keep carrying and keep carrying to the right center, center field fence. It's a, it's a very professional BP, very very hard contact to all fields. There's just so much bat speed. And then in the game, he, he has such a disciplined hitting approach too. It, it looks like, it looks like a big league veteran. And he's not a guy who's up there expanding the strike zone. Uh, he knows he's going to get pitched to very carefully. Every other pitcher, every pitcher he faces knows uh, who he is and knows how talented he is. And he just stays with a very disciplined approach for a guy who, you know, most of his peers are probably either in uh, maybe it's Gulf Coast League short season or, or uh, in low A. And here he is in double A with just a, a hitting approach, plate discipline, pitch recognition uh, so far beyond his years, squares it up, uses the whole field. Uh, in the game, too. doesn't matter if it's uh, premium velocity or a breaking pitch. Uh, he squares up everything. Uh, great plate coverage. I, I mean, it's he's got 70 raw power right now. I mean, he's, you can see he's such a big guy. He's already pretty physically mature for his age. But maybe that even improves. And I think he's, he's got a chance to be uh, at least a, a a seven bat, if, if not an eight bat, to go with seven or potentially eight power. And I realize how, <laughs> you know, how hyperbolized that sounds, but this is just such a, a special, special hitter. For me, he, he's the best prospect who's in the minor leagues right now. It's, it's just such a, it's so rare to see a hitter that young, that good. It's, it's really just a, a special you know, and going off of that, you've been with Baseball America now 18 years, 15 years. What's what's the time frame here? No, no, I'm not that old. You're not that. Oh, that's Matt. I'm sorry. Yeah. How long you been uh, here? Yeah, so I've been yeah covering prospects for for us for 11 years now. He's, so, and, and in I that mean, in that 11 year time span, have you? Is there another hitter that you feel like is comparable? I mean, is is you know what what are we talking here compared to what you've seen in, in all your years in the thousands of prospects you've seen all over the world. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, like, Bryce Harper is probably, like, I mean, what he was doing as, like, an 18-year-old was just so ridiculous. And that Harper, obviously, was, was a much better athlete than uh, than Vladdy and much much better other tools in terms of the speed and the arm strength that he brought to the table. Uh, I mean, I would put Harper in a class ahead of him. And it is fair to note that as special as Vlad is, is you know, his age 19 season in A. Harper's age 19 season, he was in the majors, you know, hitting 270 with 22 homers and winning rookie of the year. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, 
And then what, what Harper did was just, just mind-blowing. Um, you know, Trout, obviously, as, a, as an all-around prospect, um, you know, loved, loved Mike Trout, did not think that, like, you know, he's going to be basically a, a modern-day version of Mickey Mantle. But, like, you know, the thing with – I'm not saying Vladdy is in the Trout category by any means, like, the, the thing with guys who are just so, so, so talented – is like, you know, we've rated Vladimir Jr. as like, you know, number one international prospect, number one prospect when he's in the Appalachian League, number one prospect in every league he was in last year, number one Blue Jays prospect. Like, and, and to me, like, he's the best prospect in the minor leagues right now. Obviously, I know other people would say wrong. But there's, so, there's, so, like, there's something to be said for every step he's ever been, he's been at the top of his peer group by, by a it, fair margin as well. And not only that, but, like, even with all these, like, number one labels we put on him, like, it's, it's still, like, he's underrated or, like, he still manages to somehow beat expectations because it's, you know, you would understand there was some struggle in double <laughs> A. I mean, like we're talking about, like, I'm, we're out here. Glad he's out there. And, you know, he played in the cold weather last year in the Midwest League, but here's, and, and obviously he was born in Canada, but, like, you know, he's, was, you know, grew up in, in the Dominican Republic. He's out there taking infield and just like, you know, winter hat with a pom-pom on it. And everybody's freezing. And, you know, it'd be understandable if there was some struggle in, in April. Uh, but there's just none of it at all. He's just by far the best player on the field. So, so with guys like that who are just so talented, they just, you know, destroy all kind of conventional timetables and just manage to keep getting uh, better and, and better. Now, defensively... Yeah, that was my next uh, question, because I think, you know, he's, he's a bigger guy. He's, you know, he's probably going to continue to get bigger. Um, there have been some errors at third, but, you know, there also a sense that he was getting better. Again, it's a cold April, you know, three-game set. Nothing can be, you know, is, is 100% definitive there, but just what did you see just in terms of some of the actions, the movement, and just his overall game over there defensively at third base? Yeah, I think the tough thing with Vlad is that it's not a problem that he's such a good hitter, but the the thing to keep in mind with him is that he, you know, he trained as an outfielder when he was an amateur, which was not that long ago. Right. He signed in 2015, so he really only has two full seasons of experience, of professional experience as a third baseman. So if he was on a more conventional timetable, like, you know, Juan Soto and Wander Javier and, like, like Jalen Ortiz, like, these are the guys who signed in the same class as him, and these guys are in low A right now. So if he was a 19-year-old third baseman in low A, you would say, all right, yeah, he's got some, you know, he's, he's the, the hands are, are a little – a little rocky from from what I saw, and he's certainly not the most agile, rangy third baseman or anything. But you could say, all right, he's got the attributes where he could at least develop into a uh, you know playable defender at, at third base. But like I was saying, the problem, if you want to call it that, is that his bat is going to be major league ready. I mean, if not this year, then certainly by 2019. So uh, the kind of the other end of that is that well. He's at least not going to be so big that he has to move over 
uh, to first base at that point in his career. By the time he's you know, when he's still 19, 20 years old, I think he's still going to have the uh, you know the, the mobility to save her at third base. You know, later in his 20s, I think he's probably just going to get so big that he goes to the first base. Uh, although I don't think it really matters just in terms of the offensive profile that he brings, because he's going to be able to uh, be a, a way above average hitter at any position he plays. Uh, but he does need, he does still need a lot of work at third base. And <laughs> just because he's so close to being major league ready uh, with the bat, uh, that is a concern. But uh, but I think he has the attributes to, to get better. But yeah, certainly, uh, certainly a lot of things that he still needs to clean up defensively. Uh, whereas Bo Bichette, uh, on the other hand, talking about him a little bit, I mean, he really made a very good impression uh, defensively, in addition, obviously, what he what he brings to the bat. Yeah, you know, Bichette's an interesting guy because talking to some evaluators last year, there was always a sense, eh, you know, he'll move off a short half to be a second baseman. But you started to hear more and more evaluators saying, you know what, he's the type of guy who has the chip on his shoulder and the attitude a little bit to say, you know what, you know, screw what you think. I'm a shortstop, and I'm going to make myself a shortstop. Um, you know, he continues to play short primarily at New Hampshire. You mentioned defensively he showed some good things. He's hitting, as always, uh, off to uh, a really nice start, 15 for 44 here in the early going. Um, yeah, I mean, just, you know, overall quick thoughts on Bichette. Yeah, I mean, the, the bat is is the bat. I've, I've loved his bat uh, since he signed, but really the, what, what stood out to me was in addition to the bat, but what probably surprised me the most was the defense. I mean, I'd heard a lot of things about him. He's working real, real hard this offseason on his defense. And, all right, you know, you hear that kind of stuff, and it's like, well, all right, everybody works in the offseason, and everybody does, everybody looks great when, you know, nobody's watching, right? Like, <laughs> sort of like, uh, I always say about like instructional, like, everybody has a great instructional league, right? Because, like, <laughs> Nobody's keeping stats, or there's no public stats on it, and nobody's really paying too close attention to to monitor what's uh, what, what 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 exactly is going on uh, there outside of the club. So uh, everybody who had a, a down year looks uh, always has a, a great a great instructional league. <laughs> um, but uh, but no, I mean it, it sounds like Bichette really put in a lot of work over the offseason and, and just watching him play shortstop, I mean, he looks like a shortstop to me. Uh, I think a lot of it is, especially, you know, when, when, when he was in high school, uh, you know, you're making a lot of projections too based off of body type to a certain degree. And he looked like a guy who would just, you know, grow into this really just strong, compact, physical guy who, you know, pro- probably be built more along the lines of like a Josh Donaldson. Uh, type of guy and would really fit well at uh, you know a prototype third baseman, uh, but he stayed you know pretty uh, pretty agile. Uh, he, he hasn't kind of like blown up like that uh, in terms of the the strength gains and, and the additional size. He's 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 maintained uh, you know a, a body type that's that's allowed him to stay. Uh, pretty agile and, and pretty light on his feet. He, he showed good instincts uh, at shortstop. He, he's even made some uh, flashy plays. I don't think he's like the the rangiest shortstop, but he he's out there. He, he, he made all the plays. Uh, he turned double plays, uh, went well to uh, up the middle and, and to his 
uh, into his backhand too. Very uh, pretty fundamentally sound player. Very good internal clock um, at shortstop too. So he he did a lot of things that you know if I didn't know there were uh, people who had questions about him as a shortstop coming in, I would have just thought, yeah, this this guy is a uh, a shortstop. And we've seen other guys, you know, Corey Seager, uh, you know, very different body type, obviously, but. Uh, Xander Bogarts and, and Addison Russell go from guys who had question marks on their ability to stay at shortstop, uh, transform themselves into guys who are, you know, legitimate everyday shortstops, and in some of those <laughs> some cases for some of those guys, uh, above average defenders at the position. Now, you know, some of it will probably depend on like the future makeup of the of the major league club that he's on, right? Like if he's at shortstop or he comes up to the big leagues and uh, they have, you know, this club has somebody like a, a Danny Echevarria or somebody like that at, at shortstop. Well, all right, you can put him at second base and he'll be an above average defender at second or, uh, you know, depending who else is on the club, he, he may move around. Uh, but I, everything that I saw from him defensively, uh, at least early on in the season, he looked like the guy who could play shortstop at the major league level. Absolutely. You know, th- those are two of our top 10 prospects. I, I want to move on and talk to uh, another one of our top 10s, and that was Shohei Otani with the Angels. And getting out to see him in Anaheim, um, you know, when I was out there last week, it was really impressive on a number of levels. I think one of the things that, you know, was interesting was, we look, he was always going to be an ace pitcher that was never in question, even when the spring training struggles were happening. Um, you know, this is a guy who has always had premium stuff, premium, you know, velocity, premium off speed stuff. I mean, his splitter that people are just now going crazy over. We had it as a 70 pitch in the prospect handbook. There's an argument for it to be an 80. Uh, you know, I was in post game locker rooms and, you know, Martin Maldonado said it's the, uh, best breaking ball he's ever caught or faced, uh, along with Zach Granke's slider and Martin Maldonado has, caught and faced a lot of big leaguers in his career. You know, guys, veteran hitters like Matt Joyce were talking about it as a pitch that was just unhittable. And there are very few unhittable pitches to the, in the to major leaguers. Um, but I think what's been interesting about Otani is, is offensively because, you know, as we wrote um, in Japan, pitchers were afraid to pitch him inside. No one wanted to be the guy that would, you know, break his elbow and, and cause him, you know, to go down in his career. American pitchers busted him inside, had a little more success. You know, he came out and he hit those home runs in three consecutive games, which was really impressive. But to me, what was almost more impressive than any of it, I mean, don't get me wrong, I was very impressed by it. But when he went to Kansas City and had a Brandon Maurer 97-mile-an-hour fastball up and in on him, that's supposed to be the kind of pitch that he was going to have trouble with. Instead, he laced it into the gap for a triple. And I think for me, now you're talking about, okay, you know, Shohei Otani was just an ace pitcher. He's still the number, arguably the number one prospect in baseball, easily number two or three. If the bat truly has come along, and again, we're still very early. He's, there's a lot of games to go. We know major league pitchers will make adjustments just as they do for every rookie that comes up. But if he can sustain this, then it is a, hey, not only is he the number one prospect in baseball, he's one of the top players in baseball. And, I mean, again, you know, people before this all started, the Japanese Babe Ruth, it, it was hyperbolic. He's now literally doing things, you know, factually that have not been done since Babe Ruth or Babe Ruth's era in the case of a guy like Jack Owen of the 1919 Washington Senators. I think for me, you know, what Shohei Otani has done, look, on the mound, it was marvelous to watch. You know, I'm there, you know, watching him go, you know, perfect game into the seventh against the A's, painting 98-99 on the corners, 
splitter is just unbelievable. And even throwing his slider more consistently, which was another room for improvement. Uh, you know, obviously he had a bad start last night because, hey, he's a 23-year-old rookie facing the team with the best record in baseball. Those nights are going to happen, and he had blister problems. But, uh, you know, I think for me, Shohei Otani, who we already thought was, you know, exceptional, and we gave him uh, one of the highest grades in the handbook, now that he's showing that he can adjust very quickly to the American pitching, and, and he made a little adjustment with his with his timing mechanism on his front leg, and all of a sudden, if he's turning on those 97-mile-an-hour fastballs on his hands like he did against Brandon Maurer, you know, the one knock on him is now gone, and I think that's a very scary possibility for uh, the rest of Major League Baseball and an exciting one for the Angels. Yeah, I mean, for me, that's why, I mean, you obviously just heard me talk about how much I... I love uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., but for me, that's why uh, I like Otani as, as the best of, you know, between him, Acuna, and Vlad is, is just that just really unusual, uh, to put a mildly combination of number one starter and a, a legitimate hitter. I mean, like you were saying, it's immediate number one starter profile right now. It was really funny. I, uh, seeing people uh, way overreact to what he did in uh, spring training, and that's—I <laughs> I was on team. Level. Everyone, calm down. There were some other people, even in our office, who you know—it's funny. Every year we talk about spring training does not matter. Spring training does not matter. Spring training does not matter, stats-wise. And yet every year, uh, just human nature, kind of fall into the uh-oh, someone's struggling in spring training, and then we're immediately snapped back into, no, it's irrelevant. It didn't matter he was throwing 90-92 against minor leaguers at 11 a.m. on the backfields. It meant nothing, but I think people, you know, what whatever's happening in the present, they kind of lose focus on the big picture and sometimes forget the lessons that we've known and learned for years and years and years that, hey, he's fine, no one sweat it, but it seems like every year we always, people in general, almost forget it. We need to do a better job not forgetting that spring training does not matter stats-wise. Oh, 100%. And, and just off that, too, like, you know, even everything we've said and everything I've said so far, like, the caveat with that, too, is that April, in the in the regular season, I think is the, right after spring training, um, or, or I guess during the regular season, probably the worst month to be evaluating players too, especially... Well, see, I think it's September, the call-ups. March and September are always supposed to be the two months you don't put a lot of stock in. But I, I do yeah. hear what you're saying. Yeah, so, but it's it just part of part of April, is, it, part of it's the weather, part of it's just guys getting started. Uh, I remember seeing, like, Ronald Acuna struggle last year and thinking, hmm, well, those are some things to keep an eye on, but I'll bet he's much better than this. I didn't think he was going to, you know, end the year in AAA as a 19-year-old and win our minor league player of the year, but like it's just one of the things that also I think makes it very susceptible to overreact is, you know, uh, not just for prospects, but for major leaguers or let's say major league managers too. Um, you know, we've, we've been away from uh, baseball so long, people just are watching it again. They want to react and then overreact. And then also there's, there's fine. You get stats on the page. So, you know, Two weeks into the season, you have if a guy has two bad weeks, the first week of the season it really shows. If a guy has two bad weeks in August, it doesn't really affect his overall numbers as much. You don't really notice it the same way you would to the degree if a a player is, is struggling in in April. So 
I mean, but you know, getting back to Otani, yeah, I mean, it's it's ridiculous stuff. Uh, like you were saying, a seventy, if not better, splitter. You know, I was talking to a scout one time about it, and just about the splitter in general, which I, I think is a very underused pitch mm-hmm. among MLB clubs. They you never, almost never see a major league club, uh, you know, a major league organization allow a pitcher to develop a splitter if he has them. They usually have them scrap it, but I, I think you know Japanese pitchers and, and Cuban pitchers too to some extent show it can be a, a very effective pitch, but uh, the scout was saying you know it's, it's almost difficult to grade a splitter on the 2080 scale because you just, especially in the United States you just don't see many splitters and if a guy throws you don't see, you almost never see a bad splitter either because <laughs> if a guy doesn't, can't doesn't have a feel for a splitter. He's just he's just gonna scrap it totally and and not gonna throw it. But uh, but Otani's is about as good as it comes, and it's it's pretty. Uh, that, that's a nightmare to try to hit when you're also having to gear up for that 98 to uh, to 100 mile an hour fastball. But uh, but yeah, I mean I think the the bad I, I think. I think the numbers are going to come down, obviously, from, right. from where they are. Well, he's, he's probably not going to slug 11-13 over the course of the entire season. Or OPS, sorry. His OPS is uh, 1191 over the course of the season. I think it's safe to say he won't OPS that. But, yeah, I mean, my bold, bold prediction for me. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think, you know, look, obviously the power is it's, it's huge power. He, has, he, he can run. I think the swing... Uh, works. I mean, I do think there's some vulnerabilities, like like every hitter, especially tall, long-armed hitter like he is. But um, I think there's a lot of attributes there that are conducive to uh, to him being able to to hit against major league pitching. I am look again. It's it, early. It's a small sample size. I do think there'll be some somewhat more of a like, an adjustment period, just given how much there is for him to have to uh, adapt. Too, uh, as you know, you know he's still 23 years old. We have you know just a bunch of pretty good 23 year old prospects in in Double A. Uh, there's a lot of good 23 year old prospects in Double A, and here he is doing this at the major league level. So it's uh, it's just super super impressive. Absolutely, and again, you know, I wrote in my story. You know, he even acknowledged there will be a point where he hits a wall. And again, we see it every April and May. There's rookies who get off to a really good start, but as the scouting reports start getting around, as pitchers start having a better understanding of their strengths and weaknesses, and on the other side of it, as hitters start having a better understanding of his strengths and weaknesses, there's going to be times where he, you know, it's adjustments and counter adjustments and more adjustments and more counter adjustments. And, you know, he's already shown himself to be someone who can make make adjustments quickly and is going to have to continue to. But I think, again, you look at just the raw talent base, you know, it's there. And, and again, I just keep going back to the the one thing that and it was a big thing that would have prevented him from being, you know, the type of two way star people thought he could be as opposed to just a great pitcher, which is certainly not a bad outcome, was that that hole on the hard stuff in on his hands. And if he's closed that there's nothing stopping him. But again, the whole, I'm sure he'll see a lot more pitches up there. There's going to be some teams messing around with him and exploiting new holes and, and the adjustments will come again. He's he's probably not going to OPS eleven ninety one for the course of the year. He's also probably uh, you know right now he's on pace to go twenty three and eleven. That's definitely not happening. Um, but again, 
even if you know it all comes down a little bit, it's still a really good player. If he still finishes, you know, fourteen and nine with a three five ERA and you know hits, you know, twenty home runs, I mean that's still one of the greatest seasons we've seen, you know, in the past century. We've talked about Otani, we've talked about Guerrero, you know, Ronald Acuna, uh, you talked about him last year. You know, it is worth noting he did get off to a little bit of a slow start last year, slow start this year too. I'm sure he'll be in the majors sooner rather than later. Uh, again, you talk about small sample sizes in two weeks. I There's no reason to panic here. No, no, I don't, uh, I don't think so at all. Um, every, all the talent that he had is still uh, the same talent as before um all the just a, just a ton of tools a ton of bat speed too like it's it's really impressive how he's able to like he doesn't really get a ton of like separation <laughs> uh with his hands when he loads his swing and yet the bat speed he has <laughs> is, is is incredible uh given that and the the raw power is super impressive the the arm strength everything is still uh, it's, it's still there. I still expect big, big things from uh, from Acuna. Absolutely. So we talked about our top three real quick before uh, wrap up here. I just want to kind of quick hit some of the top prospects you and I have been out and seeing. Uh, you did see Lourdes Gurriel uh, when he was out there in New Hampshire. Uh, just quick thoughts. You know what what it, what does he show you? Because last year was a bad year. He's trying to kind of get back on track. And uh, what's what's kind of the state of Lourdes Gurriel, if you will? Yeah, I mean, I think last year was kind of a difficult. It was, it was, you know, the numbers were not good, but I don't think that was reflective of his uh, true talent level. Got to keep in mind, like he he basically didn't. He, he basically went a year without playing competitive baseball, and then he got hurt. He missed a couple months, so like, kind of like the whole season almost was like his <laughs> his spring training and him just getting his his timing back as he's adjusting to a new country, too. I think we've seen a lot of Cuban players uh, go through, like, some initial, uh, I don't even want to say growing pains, but just, you know, they, they, get to take, they have to take time away from, from playing competitive baseball, and, and there's so much of hitting his timing. Um, you know, we saw it with, uh, with Yohan Moncada, I think we saw it with, with Gurriel last year, and obviously it's, it's early on, but so far the uh, the early results have been have been good. Uh, he's showing a, uh, a very disciplined hitting approach. He's uh, managing the strike zone well. He's, he's not chasing pitches off the plate. I mean, it's it's tough because like <laughs> you're seeing him at the same time you're seeing uh, especially Vlad, but but also Bo Bichette. It's almost like you know he. He doesn't belong in in that category. It's hard for anybody to look good on the same field <laughs> as those guys. But he he looks like a solid player. They got him in second base now, just because obviously they've got those those other two guys on on the left side of the infield. But this is somebody who could potentially uh, bounce around the infield between uh, second, third. I think he profiles really well there. Uh, maybe shortstop on on occasion. He has some experience there. Uh, or potentially move around the uh, move around the outfield too, but uh, just a, a it seems like a very professional approach. Uh, he's obviously older than uh, than Vlad and, and Bo by quite a few years, but uh, 
so far, uh, the uh, the early signs this year have been uh, been pretty solid. Absolutely. Brendan Rodgers is another top prospect. You saw New Hampshire playing Hartford, and Rodgers flirted with 400 last year. Um, just, it's interesting because on the one hand, he shows this really gifted ability uh, just to swing the bat, uh, timing, rhythm, hands, it's all there. Um, but he did struggle a little bit when he got the double A last year. And in talking to some evaluators this year, they mentioned early on, he really looked, you know, launch angle is an interesting thing, right? Um, it works for some players. It doesn't for others. Um, again, it just depends on the player, their skill set, and what, what is kind of the best approach for them. It's not a cure-all. And Rodgers is a guy who is at his best when he's quick stroke, line drive, all fields. And, you know, what they've, we've talked about is right now he's playing like a guy who's trying to be too much of a launch angle guy. As a result, it's a lot of pop-ups. He's not scoring baseballs up like he used to. Um, you know, he's off to a little bit of a slow start at Hartford. Again, you know, 10 games, don't want to go crazy over that. But uh, he's striking out a lot more than he was before. Again, you're seeing a lot of fly balls, a lot of pop-ups. You know, it's interesting because so much we talk about players and their skill sets but as much as raw tools, especially once you get to the AA level, it's do you take the right approach to access those tools? And Brendan Rodgers, by trying to be a launch angle guy, is hurting himself from what his best tools are, which again is just bat speed, levels, line drive, stroke, you know, easy but pack some thump. And when he hits home runs, it's because he, you know, the ball carries off his bat, not because he's, you know, getting under it and you know, putting in a, an arc that's just, you know, jaw-dropping. That's not his game. Um, you know, overall, I mean, I mean, you got to look at him and what he's trying to do. Just, you know, where do you see Brendan Rodgers right now? Because, again, he was a top-10 prospect. He dropped a little bit. He's still top-20s. But to me, if, if, this is who, if he doesn't go back to being who he was and he keeps trying to be this, he's not a top-50 prospect because, that again, he won't be producing to the best of his abilities. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't see a guy who was like trying to just like yank the ball out of the park or anything. I just, uh, it, to me, there wasn't much to take away from what he did. I mean, he's he's played ten games this year, and I think just just from watching him on the field, like you know, there's some guys out there and just they're just wearing their their uniform when they're warming up, and uh, they look like they're comfortable in the cold. Uh, Brennan Rogers is one of the guys who's pretty bundled up out there, uh, wearing the winter hat during the during infield sweatshirt, everything. <laughs> uh, he he just didn't look uh, super comfortable in the cold weather. So for me, um, you know, he, he definitely showed some uh, some good power in BP, and, and he was uh, driving the ball well to uh, to right center in BP. Um, in the game, hard. It, it just was hard to take away much from that. I, I mean, with him, really the the bigger body where I think he's got to take a more disciplined approach. Uh, he's just more so than whether he's gonna, uh, you know, what what type of swing he's gonna have. It's it's just you know <laughs> uh, when to swing and and when not to swing. Uh, I think that's gonna be key for him, but I, it, it would be sort of like when I saw, again, like when I saw Cunha uh, last year, obviously that was different, him being in the Florida State League early in the season, but it was just one of those things where it's like, all right, this is 
early in the season, not much to go off right here. It's not really fair to make an evaluation based off of uh, very, very limited early information. Yeah, and that's very, very fair. Again, I think it's just something where I'm just going to be curious to see because, again, you know, when he's right, um, he is a top, you know, 20, maybe even top 10 prospect. Just be interesting to see if he can, you know, again, maybe it is just an early season working out some things and he'll figure it out. That certainly wouldn't be the first prospect to do that. Um, you know, just real quick to wrap up. I mean, we, we've been around, saw a couple guys. Um, you know, Ryan Vallade was the Rockies' top pick last year. He, you know, interesting, the Rockies have gone with, uh, some of the, you know, a lot of guys in the dirt, you know, infielders who can hit. Uh, we saw Rogers, we saw Colton Welker, we see Ryan Valade now, and Valade has a, you know, it's interesting having watched Rogers and and Garrett Hampson and Lancaster last year. Obviously, they were older, uh, and Valade this year, Ryan Valade, um, he played not the greatest level of baseball uh, in Oklahoma, and one of the things that you noticed was he was on the one hand he had a lot of discipline at bats. On the other, he was missing a lot of 87 to 89 mile an hour fastballs. And, you know, that's typically a red flag when you can't, you know, when your top pick isn't is behind and swinging and missing on pitches like that. But at the same time, 19 years old, first full season, two weeks into the year, and he really didn't face that really good a competition in Oklahoma. You know, it's one of those, okay, let's circle back in June. I think in June, if he's still swinging and missing through 87 to 89 mile an hour low a fastballs then it's a concern but again that two weeks into april you know it's not enough to go okay red flag you know let's let's you know get get worked up here but i thought it was interesting to note that you know he's supposed to be a a big you know a big bat infielder uh, but the bat is not at present as advanced as a lot of other bats out there and again i think some of it's just his age his background his start and we, I mean, we see that a good bit, you know, the 19 year olds first full season, that first month, it's, you know, the timing isn't always right there on opening day. It takes a little bit. There is a big adjustment from high school slash rookie ball, short season ball to full season ball, even a level as low as low A. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, uh, hey, you look at what he did last year too. That's the uh, grand junction. That's a, that's a, yeah, it's a pretty, pretty loud pro debut, so I think that's definitely fair to be one of the guys who say, all right, let's let's wait until, uh, you know, we're, April's not even <laughs> done yet to uh, to wait and see how, he, uh, how, he, how, how he's looking by come May and, and June. Absolutely. You know, on the flip side, you know, the guys, we did see, you know, two guys who after two weeks in April, their team decided, hey, bump them to double A, they're ready. Uh, and that was Griffin Canning and Jose Suarez. You know, both of them, two of the top prospects in the Angels organization. Canning yeah, is just, your report on uh, Canning was, was pretty exciting. I mean, you know, the thing with him, and, and even doing some draft work on him out of UCLA, was, you know, this is a really polished pitcher. There's four pitches there. Just, you know, you're a little worried about the velo. He's not the biggest guy, you know. But if that velo jumps, then, you know, you're talking about not just a mid-rotation starter, maybe even you know, front of the rotation. Well, the Angels sent him to their complex in Arizona. He spent 10 months working out. He's bigger. He's stronger. He's more flexible. And what do you know? I mean, he didn't throw a single fastball slower than 93. You know, he sat 94, 96, touched 97. A different gun had 98, and he held it. Um, You know, again, it was interesting to me watching him, and I mentioned this. He was matched up against Tyler Beattie, 
who is a triple-A pitcher who was making a, a high-A start just to get him on schedule to then make his major league debut. So he was facing a guy that the Giants were ready to say, you're ready for the majors, and it wasn't close which guy was the better pitcher. Canning threw harder, his fastball command was better, both of his breaking pitches were much better, and now you're saying, okay, this guy is really, really good. Uh, he did a second start. The Angels put him at double-A. He got hit pretty hard in his double-A debut. But, you know, again, anytime you see a guy who goes from, you know, all of a sudden from 94-97 with a nasty curveball, nasty slider, and, you know, some evaluators thought his changeup was his best secondary and he barely even had to use it. I mean, that, that, that's special, to say the least. And, and we'll see if he can keep it up. There's a big level adjustment ahead of him now. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was, yeah. it was eye-opening. <laughs> it's, and it's super rare, too, to see a prospect get promoted in April, right? Like, we always get questions that are like, what are they going to promote? Like, even with, like, Vlad Jr., like, well, why do the Blue Jays still have him in A? Like, well, he's 19 years old, and he has, what, now 11 games of <laughs> – double-A experience, like, you know, these teams make decisions coming into the year where they think these players are ready for, and usually they're not going to, it's it's very uncommon to see anybody get promoted in, in April. Usually we're talking earliest, mid-May, if not mid-season for, for guys to get bumped up a level, uh, and for Canning, who obviously didn't even uh, play in 2017, um, for him to get bumped up that quick says that uh, <laughs> sounds like the the Angels got some very very exciting <laughs> reports uh, internally, like uh, like you had from his outing that said uh, this guy can't can't be in at the in the Cal League anymore. He's too good. <laughs> you know, it's interesting though because I think if you had asked me the question before he got bumped. When's he going to get up? I would have said when he starts getting to that fifth, sixth inning, because durability is a big part of this and being ready for the next level. I mean, you compare, you talk about quick promotions, right? Walker Bueller was barely in the Calig last year either. He had five starts, 16 in a third inning. So he threw, you know, three more starts and, and almost twice as many innings as Canning did. Um, and that was a quick promotion. So I, I do wonder on the Angels side of things, okay. You know, what would have been the reward for saying, hey, let's just build up the durability more so we can get to that fifth, that sixth, and then move them. But clearly they made the decision. And then they followed it up today by promoting Jose Suarez, the lefty I saw, who, you know, when the Angels signed him was a, an 80, a, a mid-80s pitchability guy. Well, he's now 90-94 with a changeup that one evaluator says a potential future 70 pitch. A curveball he was laying to both sides. He just turned 20. He just got promoted to double A and, uh, you know, he, a lot, he's in the same, I mean, again, not Vlad junior caliber player, but in the, Hey, this guy is really, really, really young for the level. Um, Jose Suarez is all, already, uh, one of the, I believe he might be the youngest pitcher in double A after today's promotion. Again, two starts, nine innings, 18 strikeouts, one walk. The angel said, yep, you're going to double A. Yeah, that's, uh, that's not typical of, <laughs> Uh, what we usually see with the April prospect promotions, but uh, yeah, they definitely have those guys uh, on the uh, hitting the accelerator with those two. Yeah, absolutely, and and we'll see. So it, it's been interesting, you know, first couple of weeks. We got a lot more coming up. Uh, what uh, what trips do you have planned, Ben, uh, in terms of uh, prospect views in the next couple of weeks? Uh, 
Brian Susi as much uh, of Vlad Jr. and Bo Bichette as <laughs> as possible. So uh, <laughs> uh, trying to get as many looks at, at those guys as I as I possibly can, and then obviously whoever else is uh, coming in to uh, to see them. So obviously a lot of a lot of talent in the in the Eastern League this year at the double-A level, but uh, I'm not going to turn down any opportunity I can to uh, get the chance to see those guys play. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, I'll be around uh, here uh, in the greater uh, you know, Durham area, seeing some international leagues, seeing some Sally leagues, seeing a little bit of Carolina league. Uh, then I'll be back out in California in June. So we'll have you covered coast to coast, north to south, east to west. All right, that's, well, uh, oh, go ahead. Full plate coverage. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right, well, I think that'll about do it for this edition of the Baseball America podcast. Thank you to everyone for tuning in. Uh, for Ben Badler, I'm Kyle Glazer. Have a good one. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.